Hello and welcome to Talking You Retina, the official podcast of the European Society of Retina Specialists. I'm Jonathan McRae. In this podcast, we bring you expert discussions and interviews with leaders from the world of retina and beyond. We also keep you up to date with the latest news from the society. In this podcast, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to be joined by the makers of Blind Faith, a recent BBC documentary that shone a light on fraudulent operators offering patients unproven treatments for RP from Moscow to Gaza to Miami, while charging thousands of euro for the privilege. Before we get into that, a quick note about an upcoming Uretina case club on ocular oncology and uveitis. It's taking place on the 20th of September with Professor Jens Falke Kilgard, Professor Marion Monk and Dr. Hiba Kuhil presenting. They're focusing on the ocular side effects of modern anti-cancer therapies from the perspectives of both ocular oncology and uveitis. Professor Elizabeth Mizarochi and Professor Shahar Frankel will join the panel to discuss a series of cases presented by younger colleagues. You can join in too with a live Q&A and that's the next Uretina Case Club on September 20th from 8pm CEST. Registration is open now on the Uretina website. Now, as I mentioned, in this episode of Talking Uretina, we're going to take a look at a sadly common and rather disturbing practice. It's one that happens across the globe and preys on patients who have nowhere else to turn, surrounding the incurable condition of RP and the raft of unproven and medically questionable services that are offered to treat it. I'm joined now by makers of a documentary and expose on the practice called Blind Faith. You can watch the episode by following the link in the description, by the way. Ramadan Yunus is presenter of the programme. Simon Cox is an executive producer at the BBC. Uh, we're also joined by Professor Robert McLaren, who is a consultant ophthalmologist in the UK and consulted for the film. You're all very welcome. Ramadan, this is a condition uh, that you live with, RP. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and the journey you went on to try and treat it? Yeah, actually, uh, first, I'm happy to uh, be today here uh, on uh, Talking About in our podcast. And thank you for the invite. Um, when I was a child, my mother realized that I was not able uh, to see well in the dark. So directly, she took me to a local ophthalmologist who told her that I have an inherited retinal disease and that I might lose my vision someday. Uh, my mother didn't tell me that and I lived my life normally until I turned 21, 22, when I felt a decline in my vision. I decided to visit uh, the ophthalmologist to myself and to speak with him directly. And he diagnosed me with retinitis pigmentosa. That was the first time I hear about the name of my disease when I was 22 years old. After that, I started to gather information about this eye condition. And I found that it might lead to complete blindness. Of course, I was very frustrated. I started looking for any type of treatment on the internet until I found a treatment offered at a military hospital in Beijing. So in 2013, I raised about $13,000 and I traveled to Beijing to have that treatment. Wow. This treatment, how much did you know about it and, and how... Did you feel about the veracity of it? Did you feel that this was a proper medical treatment that was open to anyone? You know, when you uh, know that you might lose your vision someday and you might stop doing the things that you loved uh, to do all your life, you will be ready to believe anything, even if they are lies. 
So when I found the treatment offered at a military hospital, a formal hospital, not private one, I felt that they are offer a proper treatment. I spoke to my ophthalmologist in Egypt who told me that he didn't hear at all about this treatment and I must be careful, but I was young. I was ready to do anything or to raise any amount of money to have the treatment because they told me that after receiving this surgical treatment that aims at increasing blood flow to the retina, my vision will no longer deteriorate and I will keep my remaining vision. And this was a big thing. And they also told me that my vision might have some improvement as well. So I didn't listen to my ophthalmologist in Egypt and I traveled there in 2013 to have the treatment. Can you tell me what the treatment consisted of? You know, it was a surgical treatment. It was under a full anesthesia. And they told me that they are going to increase uh, blood flow to the retina. So my remaining cells in the retina will not be affected by the disease because the cells will get the amount of blood needed. I stayed in Beijing like two weeks. After receiving a, a treatment, I was given uh, pills and intravenous injections almost for other 12 days. And after that, I came back to Egypt. And when I, I, I arrived in Egypt, I told my family and my friends is that my vision was improving because um, I couldn't tell them that I did not feel any improvement. You know, when you are flying for miles and your family hoping that that treatment will work, it's very difficult for you to believe that this treatment will not do anything. So sometimes as, as us, as we patients, sometimes we lie, actually. We try to force ourselves to believe that this treatment that you paid thousands and thousands of dollars will work, but actually it didn't work at all. When did you start to think that this operation had indeed been a, a sham and that there was no scientific basis for the surgery you underwent? After um, a few months after receiving the treatment, I found out that my vision continued to get worse and that the treatment did not help at all. And after becoming a member in uh, social media groups of uh, RP patients, retinal spermatosa patients, I also heard similar stories to mine that they, uh, they traveled to different countries to uh, have uh, different treatments without any positive results. So I decided to uh, visit London and see Professor Maria Mosaji at Moorfields Eye Hospital. And she told me this was not approved treatment. And she advised me against having such a treatments, uh, such a treatments in the future. And I found out that all of these treatments offered to RP patients, unfortunately, they are not approved or proven treatments. And that's why I decided to batch the story to work on bogus treatments offered to RP patients to the BBC. And fortunately, they were excited to work with me on the documentary.
So in the documentary, we follow you as you explore some of these services offered in various countries. How prevalent is this promise of a cure or treatment for RP? During our research, during working on the story before shooting it, we have been looking into various treatments offered in different places. Actually, it's a really prevalent practice. It's offered in all the continents around the globe. But we've decided to focus on the strongest cases that represent different regions in the world. The first case we've been looking into uh, was uh, a treatment offered in Gaza, and now they offer it in Jerusalem, East Jerusalem. The treatment is uh, composed of um, something called, according to the doctor offering this treatment, something called neuromodulation. It depends on stimulating the retina by putting the patient onto two vibrating devices. The first one is a pair of glasses, and the second one is a device um, is being put into the nose. And the doctor claims is that the patient see benefits from the treatment after the second day and the full benefits of the treatment will be seen after the two weeks uh, the second case was in russia it came from a well-known hospital in the field of ophthalmology is Fyodorov eye hospital they give the patient uh, vitamin injections for 10 days and after that the patient has to take supplements unfortunately we found out that the supplements, including vitamin A, which is known to be harmful for some patients who have a very specific genetic mutation called ABCA4, so they could not have known if the treatment might have been harming the patient. The third case was the most exciting one. It came from USA, uh, from Florida, uh, a clinic offering bone marrow stem cells in the form of a clinical trial called Scots 2. They have been offering this treatment in the US since 2013. They started first with a clinical trial called Scots, and since 2016, they offer it under a clinical trial called Scots 2. Unfortunately, these both clinical trials are offered on clinicaltrials.gov, which is globally recognized, but this was the main gateway for uh, doctors who are offering the treatment in Florida, according to what Dr. Weiss said in the film, that clinicaltrials.gov was the main gateway for them to get the patients to have the treatment. And they injected the eyes of the patients with stem cells taken from patients' bone marrow. And um, they charged the patients for over $20,000. They offered the same treatment in Dubai, in United Arab Emirates, for $27,000 for patients who cannot travel to the U.S. Can you uh, tell me what sort of level of scientific robustness you found in, in these treatments? Were any of them founded in good medical evidence or were they all quite knowingly scams? You know, actually, they, you know, when you contact them, they speak to uh, the patient in a scientific way that is difficult for patients to understand. But what I found that all of them is saying the same. We are going to increase the blood flow to the retina 
So your remaining cells in the retina will not die over time like the cells that you've already lost. So when you are hearing from proper ophthalmologists that they are telling you, look, we are going to help you after the treatment, you will not lose your vision. Of course, you will not have doubt, uh, you know, towards ophthalmologists. Robert, if I can bring you in now, um, perhaps you might tell me a little bit about what you made of what you saw in the documentary and whether or not there was any scientific basis for some of the claims that the doctors were making in it. Well, there really isn't any scientific evidence. And what we see here, I think, is what we've seen in a number of medical treatments over probably centuries, where some newfangled thing comes in and people who sadly have no cure for a disability or ailment are told that this might be a benefit to them. And because it sounds fantastic and new, they, they sort of believe the story. The vitamin injections, of course, you know, we know that if you don't have vitamin A, you're going to lose your eyesight because vitamin A is very important for retinal function. So that doesn't mean, of course, that giving people extra vitamin A is going to be of any benefit when they have a different degeneration. But if someone were to go and have a quick look on the internet and see vitamin A and retina, they would see that they're linked. Again, that might be enough. Similarly, electrical treatments, again, you have to go back to the time of uh, Mary Shelley and the, the novel Frankenstein to see, you know, in the Victorian era, how people thought electricity was going to be a great rejuvenator. And there are many electrical treatments promoted at that time. Uh, and now, of course, we've got the new thing, which is stem cells, the miracle cure that can do anything and regenerate any part of the body. Uh, always exciting breakthroughs in the newspapers and, and in the media. So stem cells sound brilliant. And some guy can stand up and tell them some exciting information about stem cells. It's complete nonsense, by the way. None of it's supported by any scientific experiments at all. Uh, and sadly, people will believe it. So there's always a little element of truth or something in these uh, treatments that's being used to bring people on board. Unfortunately, they're asked to pay a huge amount of money for it, which is ultimately the aim of the people promoting the treatments. How much did you know about these practices before the documentary, Robert? Well, I'm familiar, you know, we've all been familiar with the stem cell work. We've been trying to stop that for a while, the Scots trial in particular. And, um, you know, some of my patients, in fact, are going up to about eight or nine years ago, found out about it. And I just sat down and I said, look, you know, do you not wonder why you're being asked to pay $20,000 to be in a trial when, you know, normally in a trial, you're, you're not allowed to ask people to pay to be in the trial because it's, it's a research. Um, and similarly with the other treatments, the injections and things like that, they are perhaps less harmful but injecting cells into the eye and that can potentially cause problems. And I've seen patients sadly with complications, some indeed of whom have lost vision in the eye from having an injection of cells into the eye, which have um, you know, caused additional problems, which weren't there at the beginning. So we are very aware of them. We try and educate patients. And I think you know, what Ramadan's done is, a, is an amazing film and it's a connection you know, if, with people who suffer from RP, okay? So if, if I were to write a film about bogus treatments for RP, I'm sure it'd all be technical about, you know, experimental work and papers published and things, and most people wouldn't really understand it. But he's really got a very good job of actually getting down to the thought of someone with RP, you know, to put it in their mind exactly what it is that's going on. And, uh, you know, he should be commended for that. It's really good. Ramadan, what did you do once you had realized it was a, a scam and that you had spent thousands of dollars and invested so much hope in a treatment that didn't improve your vision at all. What ramifications did that have and what courses of action did you take? Uh, as I said, first, I tried to lie um, on myself. Uh, I tried to force myself that it worked. 
but um, it didn't work at all. And I was very frustrated. I was in a very down, you know, state. I was affected psychologically because you're, the hope that you've been dreaming that this treatment will work has faded away. You know, it's like a stab in your back. It's like someone has killed your dream. You know, even I had it 10 years ago. It's very emotional when I remember it so far. Anyway, I hope that this documentary will help other potential victims to protect them from falling into the same scab. And I'm now happy that I receive hundreds of messages from patients and their families around the world telling me thank you for making this documentary because you've protected us from having such a treatment. Because many of them already have started to speak about these clinics, but after watching the documentary, they decided, of course, not to go to have the treatment. And this is enough for me. Yes, I was affected, but I now protecting other patients from such a treatment. Ramadan, was there any way of you getting your money back or was there any legal recourse to perhaps take these people to court or even to get them prosecuted? Was there any sense of justice for you? No, really. No, because, um, you know, I didn't think about this, you know, um, I was um, young. I just thought, uh, say to myself, you know, maybe it didn't work on me only. But of course, after I discovered that many other patients had the same in different countries, I found out that it was just a scam taking your money. But I didn't think about any legal action because I don't think it's, it really will, will help. You know, it's, it's very difficult because the treatment was offered at a military hospital. I don't think something will happen. Robert, what sort of things is the medical community doing or, or can they do to prevent patients from being scammed in this way or being given misinformation that leads to them making poor decisions for their healthcare? Well, you, you have to think a little bit about individuals' freedom, okay? Now, you know, you can't ban everything. That's not scientifically proven. Um, so you may have people, for instance, that have herbal remedies. You know, you may have people that have acupuncture. You may have people who go to Lourdes or go to Mecca or whatever, you know, to get a miracle cure. You know, we, we've got to allow that to happen. Um, but at the same time, I think where the line is crossed is where a professional person, you know, and by that I mean a medical professional who's qualified, gives disinformation to patients to have a treatment for which there's no evidence that it works. And, and this, again, is something that we can intervene with. Now, the individuals involved with the Scots trial, uh, you know, one of them, as you probably know, has been struck off, I think, in two states and stopped practicing. Uh, the other has, has its membership of the learned societies have all been terminated. So there's no longer a platform for him to promote his work amongst the scientific establishment. Uh, these are things that we can do. Obviously, we can't prosecute people, you know, that's the job of the law to do that. Uh, and I think doctors, again, are very much open to prosecution if they promote treatments of which there have clearly no benefit. But of course, one has to collect evidence for it. If you have a treatment where it may or may not do anything and most likely doesn't work and you say to the patient, look, you know, this electrical treatment or these injections, we don't know if it's going to work or not, but you're welcome to try it. Then I think, you know, one has to you know, accept that this is freedom of choice and we shouldn't be in a position to block that. And I think, you know, part of what, what we're doing, what Ramadan's doing is, is the education of people uh, about these scams. At least they'll go into 
the next clinic or the next email they get, and they'll think a little bit more carefully about it. And hopefully they would come and see someone like myself just to get a second opinion and ask. I mean, I, I've had patients going off to strange places in, in the third world for a miracle treatment for their RP. And I say to them, look, you know, we are investing millions in research for your condition. We've got all their scientists. Why is it that this chap in a, in a clinic in this third world country seems to know something that we don't, you know, just, just think about it, you know, just think it through and, and eventually they, they'll come around. And I, I just want to add something here, please. Um, as a patient, you know, because when the, the hospital in China told me about the treatment, I asked them, is this um, recognized internationally? They told me it's not recognized by uh, America or Europe, but this doesn't mean that it's not working. So as a patient, you try to say to yourself, maybe Europe or America do not believe so much in some treatments coming out from other regions in the world. You know, you are trying to force yourself that they are honest. And also they are trying to persuade you of this, you know, of, of this hypothesis that Europe mm. and America do not believe in their treatments, but their treatments are valid. So they are trying to also to treat patients in this way. And this is something we must be careful that treatments that are offered from other regions in the, in the world, you must be careful. You shouldn't believe in them quickly. I don't say, of course, all the treatments offered there are not correct. Of course, no, there are some correct treatments, but we must be careful because sometimes they are trying to say to patients, look, our treatments are proper, our treatments are valid, just Europe and America do not believe in us. Robert, from a European point of view, could we be doing more in terms of wider communications campaigns or is there a role for Uretina to assist ophthalmologists in making stronger cases against their patients traveling for treatment like this? Well, that's a very good question. I, I mean, I, in my experience, the people that I would interact with at a session, you know, like a, like indeed the session I'm talking at uh, coming up in a few weeks, and the people that go to that session, we're all kind of experts. We know what's going on. Probably where we could do a little bit more is maybe to reach out to more general ophthalmologists, particularly those from the old Soviet era sphere of influence, who may not be completely familiar with the Western treatments and may still be advocating some of the old Soviet treatments, you know, the Cuban treatment, the injections, all of that. Uh, just because the the way the training has occurred in many of those countries is that you just do what you're told by the professor and that information is passed down through the generations without the prospective randomized controlled trials that we're, we're very familiar with. So yes, I think there could be a little bit more, but I have to be honest with you and say that once you get to the meeting, the Euretna meeting or the Euretna membership, you're already selected the knowledgeable ophthalmologists. How do we get mm. to those ophthalmologists who wouldn't necessarily come to the meeting? You know, that, that's a challenge, I think, is something that we need to look at. Right. Uh, I hadn't considered that. Yeah. And uh, presumably um, European patients in any case would have better protections than those outside of the EU and even perhaps America just because of uh, the level of protection that Europeans tend to get. Well, not necessarily. Don't forget mm. the stem cell injections. Again, some of them being developed in the US and in Germany for a while where you take stem cells out of bone marrow out of the hip joint and inject it behind the eye. The regulation process of that is to check that there are sterility and that it's done in a safe manner. It doesn't require any proof of efficacy because there's no drug involved. It's basically a procedure. 
And right. I don't know if you're familiar with the Brazilian butt lift. I mean, I haven't had one myself, but that is an <laughs> example of a procedure where cells are taken out from one part of the body, you know, adipose, and injected into another. Now, you don't need to have any evidence that that treatment works. It's just that's what, what people want. Again, this is where it's a, it's where it's a slightly gray area. If cells were taken away, stored somewhere, and then brought back, then there'd be a different level of regulatory complexity. And clearly, if they were cells from another source, again, even more so. But there is still a little loophole that allows one to take cells from a patient from one part of the body and inject it into another. And if that's a stem cell source, like the bone marrow, then you can call it a stem cell treatment. And it's taken a while to shut those clinics down. It has happened now, thankfully, but it did take a while. The focus on the documentary was, of course, these treatments that didn't have any efficacy, but there are treatments uh, coming on stream. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, gene therapy treatments have been shown to be efficacious in treating inherited retinal degenerations. They will become more sophisticated, uh, more successful with earlier intervention as time goes by and integrated into that, of course, will be gene editing for correcting the genes. The eye is the perfect organ for these new biological uh, molecular treatments. So a further warning, of course, is if someone has a stem cell injection into the eye, it may well then compromise any ability they might have at a later stage to have an approved treatment that would actually be a benefit to them. So, Simon, now that the program has been aired and uh, people have responded to it, what sort of a reaction have you been getting and how have the authorities uh, in the various countries responded to it? So a huge response from patients around the world, a lot of whom contacted Ramadan directly. You know, he's he's taken part in, in lots of patient forums and discussions since in the countries themselves in Russia probably not surprising, there wasn't really much reaction. Although considering the status of, of the Fedorov Institution, which, you know, a lot of ophthalmologists listening to this will, will know of the institution. We were surprised at that. Sudan, obviously, there was an initial reaction and recommendations not to allow patients to travel overseas for RP treatments. But probably, to be honest, the most disappointing was in the US. You know, there was a huge weight of evidence, of the difficulties of the Scots trial, as Robert had mentioned, you know, the two doctors who run Scots, one of them has been struck off in two states, the other was kicked out of the American Ophthalmology Association. And we just heard very little from the FDA. We know they're investigating. We know there are difficulties because as Robert was mentioning, you know, it's this whole idea of when you're taking the stem cells, you know, if that's a kind of loophole. But looking at some of the clinical trials guidelines on the on, that the FDA have, from our evidence, they seem to be clearly flouting those. And I think the difficulty is, you know, they're still offering their treatments to patients, and there are people who are, will still be signing up, paying their twenty thousand dollars, and not being helped and potentially being harmed and that that's just really really disappointing and frustrating what do you think can be done here in europe when it comes to protecting patients who want to seek these treatments i think it's, it's raising awareness and trying as much as possible to, to make sure that that patients drill down and ask the right questions as, as we'd found you know when ramadan was talking to some of these clinics they do try and blind you with a bit of science and they are, you know, often trained ophthalmologists, but patients are often, you know, the, the best investigators themselves because, uh, you know, as Ramadan has done, you know, you'd have spent decades looking into 
the condition and looking at any clinical trials and things that are that are operating but i think it's it's just it's raising awareness and making yourself as much of an expert as possible i think also there is you know although it's in europe you know lots of people will look at the clinicaltrials.gov website in the us that's seen you know as a sort of globally recognized website but as it says in a disclaimer but people don't really notice that i mean you know anyone can put their clinical trials up there it's, it's not a sort of badge of quality at all and that is something that i think separately you know the nih should be looking at um again they didn't really respond to us i mean again massively disappointing for a huge organization and considering the flaws we'd uncovered within the website so i think um i think that's something that needs to be looked at because lots of europeans will be looking at, at the us website because you know it, it covers clinical trials globally the one thing that i really wanted to come out of the film is i think there does need to be more pressure applied from ophthalmologists particularly on the regulatory bodies you know in this case i really think the fda but also clinicaltrials.gov i think they they won't really listen to journalists as much as they will to the specialists who you know are dealing with patients day in day out and obviously trying to deter them when through desperation they try and go for these unproven and potentially dangerous treatments so i think that would be my one message to the people listening to this is they need to be having those conversations with the regulators and the politicians who also you know give oversight to bodies like the fda to make sure they're actually acting on the findings that we um, produced. Ramadan, you took a genetic test um, in the program and uh, you didn't get the news you wanted. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what your hope is for the future when it comes to gene therapies that might be able to treat the particular inherited condition you have? Yes, when I did the gene testing um, in the film, I found out that I had mutations in two different genes. The first is SAG, causing night blindness, and the second is ABCA4, is causing um, deterioration in the central vision. Unfortunately, the available treatment, uh, the only treatment approved now, Loxeterna, is only available for patients who have mutations in the gene RPE65. So. This treatment will not work for me. This was devastating because I was hopeful that maybe my gene would be RPE65 and I would benefit from the treatment and I will not lose my remaining vision, but unfortunately I'm not having this particular gene. But I'm hopeful that in the future we will hear about different gene therapies, trying to correct genes different uh, from RPE65 like RPGR like PDE6B and also hopefully ABCDA4, the one that I have. But just we need to be patient and we need to consult our ophthalmologist when we hear about other treatments because most of the treatments offered now, except from Loxeterna, are really scam and they are not approved and potentially harmful to a patient's vision. Well, Ramadan, thank you so much for telling us your story and uh, about this really important documentary, the best of luck on your journey for treatment. Uh, that's Ramadan Yunus, who was uh, an investigative reporter and freelance journalist at the BBC. Uh, thanks also to Simon Cox, executive producer who joined us, 
and Professor Robert McLaren, who consulted on the programme. If you would like to watch the documentary, you'll find a link in the audio description. You can also search the BBC website for Blind Faith. If you have treated any of these patients who have gone off to far-flung corners of the earth to try and receive miracle cures only to be disappointed we'd love to hear your stories how did you react did it change the care that you gave your patients please do email us podcast at uretina.org that's it for this week's episode my name is jonathan mccray and i'll see you next time on talking new retinas